Good morning, everybody, and glad to have everybody here today. I'm going to ask for a show of hands in just a second, so I need you to see if this represents you. How many of you actually question everything? You may need more information, or you may question the validity of a situation. You may doubt what you're being told is true, but how many of you actually question almost everything? Okay, quite a few of you. Wow, okay. On the other hand, how many of you are too trusting. We are the ones, the gullible ones, the ones who trust without questions and are often burned or hurt because we took a step of faith on a situation or one's character. And we find ourselves as collateral damage more often than we would like. We can't even believe we fell for the same thing again. It's happened to me more than I would like to admit. I'm the gullible one. If it wasn't for Deb, I would be in real trouble. Real trouble. I mean, many times she has saved me from hurt and from, from financial pitfalls that I've almost gotten in. I also find it very interesting that as people of God, we are either skeptics or too trusting of our Bible. There are those of us who trust in what we have been told. We accept what others have taught us over the years and question very little of the authenticity of those words. While on the other hand, there are those in here who are relentless investigators, ones who seek the truth and understand out of a need to know to be informed, to be well-versed, to be right. You, on the other hand, question everything. But there's another category. The category in which many of us gravitate to from time to time. It's the category of doubt. We don't speak about this much in the circles of our Christianity. It's not a topic we ever actually bring up. And I feel just the weight of the word just saying it, doubt, doubt. We believe it's almost wrong to have doubts about our faith. Why? Well, because the Hebrew writer says the only way that we're going to please God is we're going to have to believe in Him. 11, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And James the Epistle says, but when He asks, He must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed to and fro like the wind. Our text this morning is John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 that Jet just, just read. We are continuing our series on identity, and we're trying to answer that question that we've been answering almost every week. Whose am I? Whose am I? We are also exploring the character and nature of the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. We're exploring the identity of the one who was from the beginning, the Word who is, the Word who was, and the Word who is to come, the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ. And as we look at these passages today, 
we will realize that we're not the only ones who actually doubted in Scripture. Many did not believe in Him. They didn't recognize Jesus. All right, let's read our text. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own did not receive Him. I can see some of you saying right now, I would not have been one of those individuals. I would have been one that would have recognized Jesus if I had seen him back then. I would have been one that had believed. Really? Really? Of all the skeptics that we had in here today, raise their hands that are questioners. All right, so place yourself in the shoes of the people of Israel. They knew Jesus. They knew his family. They knew his brothers. They knew his sisters. They knew who Jesus was. They called him a mumser, which is a child of incestuous and adulterous union. He also came from Nazareth. Can anything, anything good come out of Nazareth? He was a carpenter, one who worked with stone and worked with wood. He had no advanced degree. He never went to seminary. And how could this man be the son of God? How could this man be a teacher of Israel? Everything about him tells me that he's not the one we are looking for. So, did they doubt that Jesus was who he says he was? Oh, absolutely they did. They did. So, do we have any skeptics? in our audience today? And you don't have to answer that, but I, I'm sure we probably do. Skeptics that are thinking, do I really believe that Jesus is who He is? And for those of us who do receive Him, His apostles, those who did receive Him, His apostles, those who spent three years, three years in close and intimate contact with Him following the resurrection and after spending time with Jesus and seeing him after his resurrection, they did not fully believe in him. Even his own followers doubted him. And as they were listening, right before they were listening to the, to the great commandment that Jesus, the, the greatest commission that Jesus is going to give, some of the apostles doubted. Listen to Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 17. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. After three years, all the miracles that they had seen, thousands of lives changed, even seeing those who were brought back from the dead, and they doubted. How are these men even fit to be his disciples? How are these men fit to carry on the kingdom of God, right? How are they fit to do that? All right, let me ask you a question. Do we as Christians have the freedom to doubt? Do we as Christians have the freedom to doubt? Do we have the choice to question Jesus and the truths of his word. 
right? This, this topic is tough stuff. Because we were taught, or at least I was taught, that God would be angry and upset with me if I doubted. If I question or doubt that God or Jesus is who He says He is, I was either going to have to stand in a corner or I was going to have to get on a white blackboard, not a whiteboard anymore, but a blackboard back then, a blackboard, and I was going to have to write 500 times, I will not doubt God, I will not doubt God, I will not doubt God, over and over. And all of us can come up with our reasons for not wanting to ask those big questions, Right? Because if we ask those big questions, we don't want to appear weak, and we don't want to appear unstable to others. We don't want to appear as if we are not fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. On the other, on the other hand, here's what I know about us. God already knows our questions and our doubts. And many of us wonder, here's the, here's the question, many of us wonder, do I believe that what I believe is really real. Think about that question. Do I believe that what I believe is really real? I mean, do we? Can I let you in on a little secret? Inherent with the word faith. Inherent with the word faith is the absence of assurance. Now, faith is the substance of things, what? Hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. God is not afraid of our doubt. Our doubt can be a catalyst to actual real faith. It can be a tool to propel us to ask, to search, to seek, to actually understand. All right, Ann Sullivan says the real reason for us not wanting to ask the big questions, we don't want to appear vulnerable and confused. We were taught that our inquiries are a sign of disrespect and unbelief. We are afraid our faith will buckle under the bright lights of interrogation. And some of us, she adds, sidestep investigation altogether just to make sure God doesn't get mad at us. She goes on to say, if God is really God, how can we ever be threatened? How can He ever be threatened by us? If our faith is rooted in truth and our ability to reason is a gift from God, shouldn't He be able to handle any questions that we come up with? Okay, remember, remember, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It is unbelief. The opposite of faith is not doubt but unbelief. Let's go back to our text, those two short verses in John chapter 1. He was in the world. And although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Okay, so today, where, where are you? Where are Where are you? Where are you in your own faith journey? Do you have doubts? Are you seeking, searching, asking questions of yourself, which you dare not divulge to another? There's a difference between one who is a skeptic and one who is rejecting Jesus all 
together. Remember, Thomas doubted. Thomas doubted. How many of us pretend that our faith never wavers? I've never doubted God a day in my life. Well, that's fantastic if you haven't, because I have. If we just kind of keep this with us, I have doubted. Is there really a God? Can I rely on this book? Is God really real? Why are there 33,000 different denominations in our world today? Can I trust that I have been taught correctly? How can I believe God when there's so much division in Christendom? So yes, I'm probably a skeptic. One seeking, one searching, one trying to understand. Why? Because I know, listen, I know that I will answer to God for my faith. Not the faith of my grandparents. Not the faith of my parents. Not the faith of my tradition. I will answer for the truth as I understand it in God's will and God's word. Did you catch that? I will answer to God on the day of judgment for my faith and my faith only. I will not be able to say when I'm there before God on my knees, well, my parents said, well, my mentor said, this is what I learned from the preacher at church. Now, please understand, listen, listen, my desire is never to lead anyone away from truth with a capital T, meaning Jesus Christ. My desire is for each of us to have an owned faith, an owned faith, one that is yours, one that you can trust. I want us to know Jesus. I want us to know our King. And why am I all about Jesus, which is not a bad thing, right? I'm all about Jesus because he said this, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, is it okay to question one's faith? Is it? Again, I was taught, I was taught, that my questions were a sign of disrespect or a sign of unbelief. There were those who were afraid if I questioned my faith, it would cause my faith to waver under such intense scrutiny, and God would be mad at me. Do you remember Thomas? He wanted hard evidence. He wanted physical proof that Jesus was alive and well. And he was not afraid to seek that answer. Even after he had an eye, all the, all the eyewitnesses had told him, hey, we've seen Jesus, we've seen Jesus. He was determined to know the truth for himself. Can you just hear the questions that he asked? How in the world could one come back from the grave? How could he live after all that torture that he endured? How could he, how, have you ever even seen a crucified individual that has come back from the dead? He says, unless I see the nail marks 
in his hands and put my finger where his nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. This is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Doubt is not a disgraceful weakness of one's faith in Jesus. Remember, God Jesus does not leave us without evidence. Man, there's plenty of evidence for us to say, I can believe because of the evidence. But brothers and sisters, it's called faith for a reason. And on that faith, we please God. Do I really believe that what I believe is really real? Our doubts should not push us away from God, but push us toward When we doubt, it ought to encourage study. It ought to push us toward thinking, toward questioning. And for our doubters who are actually in the audience today, which includes me, the place that I go when I start doubting is Proverbs chapter 1, 2, and 3. And I just want to look at Proverbs 2, verses 3 and 6, which says this. But if you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding... And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. And here's what I've learned about my faith over the years. Unlearning is not easy, but it's necessary. Unlearning is not easy, but it's necessary. Let's go back to Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he looks at Thomas and he says to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And let me remind you of our text again, and this is kind of how the world sees Jesus. He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. They doubted. And now, listen, not all of us are going to doubt. Not all of us are going to be skeptics. But for those of us who are, for those of us who are, how do we constructively handle our skepticism and our doubts? So, if I have questions, what am I supposed to do? All right, let me give you a couple of things, four things that I'd like you to write down. Here's the first one. Identify reliable sources. Identify a reliable sources. Every book, every article, internet site, or sermon comes with its own biases, right? We live in a biased world. Everyone has their opinion, and everyone believes they are right. But here's what I know to be true. I can trust the words out of the mouth of God. I can trust the words out of the mouth of Jesus. 
Therefore, there is no other source more reliable than the words out of the mouth of God. Everything Jesus was given, said was given to him by his Father, what to say and actually what to speak. Therefore, Paul's words, Peter's words, James and John's words must be evaluated through the words of God and through the words of Jesus. If you are looking for reliable sources, find individuals who want to draw you back to Scripture, the words out of the mouth of God, who want to draw you back to that. When you hear, when you hear, I think, I've read, I've heard, I believe, he said, be skeptical of those individuals. The most reliable source we have at our disposable, at our disposal is the Word of God. Books and articles and sermons and people's, of opinion, people's opinions, they're great, they're good, but they cannot be the reliable source which sets the course of our life for eternity. Our life is set for eternity, hopefully by the words of God. We must put our faith and trust in those words. Matthew 4, verse 4 says this. Jesus answered, it is written, man should not live by bread alone. Say the rest of it with me. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Number one is identify reliable sources. Number two, develop the ability to think critically. Develop the ability to think critically. Questions are our friend Inquiries are not a sign of disrespect or unbelief. The opposite is true. There are signs of one's pursuit of truth. Is this not what Jesus desires of His people for us to seek Him and to reach out to Him and actually find Him? John 8, 31-32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Thinking critically, thinking critically begins with Jesus' glasses. These are the lenses through which we question everything. Everything in the Bible should be evaluated through those lenses of Jesus and the words that came out of the mouth of God. Why? Because this is the only hope we have for true unity of the faith. Jesus is our Lord. He is our Lord. And upon that, we have to we put our hope and trust. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed, the old song says. John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So number two. Number two is the ability, develop the ability to think critically. Number three, recognize others' biases and assumptions. Recognize others' biases and assumptions. All of us come at the, all of us come at the Bible with our biases. My grandfather, my father, my uncles were all in the ministry on my mom's side. My mother my grandmother, all of them had a hand in teaching me. 
All of us come with assumptions and biases for which we have been taught. We hang on these. And often, often we never even, even reevaluate those in our life. Is it, if it was good enough for my grandparents, it's good enough for me. But remember, remember this. You, we will not answer to God for our parents' faith. We will answer to God for our faith. Our faith. Our doubts, our opinions, our skepticism is not a shameful weakness. It's only a shameful weakness if we never ask, if we never explore, if we never question, if we never grow and we never learn. Remember, all of us come with our biases and assumptions. There is a God and He has spoken. Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20. This day I call Uh, heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death. I've set before you blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him. For the Lord is your life. Number three, recognize others' biases and assumptions. The last one, number four, admit you carry your own biases as well. You probably can't tell, but I'm pretty passionate about this. I am biased as how we ought to study God's Word. I believe that we have relied throughout our tradition and throughout our history, on, on rules and ways and the way that we are to study our Bible. Each of them, those men, carried their biases. And while I appreciate them, and I have learned a lot from them, the way we study the Bible, how we study the Bible, will not be a question I am asked when I am in heaven. God will look at me while I'm on my knees and he'll ask me this. Do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And did you listen and obey my words and put them into practice? Accept instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. Listen, listen to the roar of His voice, to the rumbling that comes from His mouth. For the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. In His right hand He held seven stars, and out of His mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. For the Word of God is living and active The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit and joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is what the Word of God does. 
This is what the Word of God does. And yes, I am biased. I put much more weight on the words that come out of the mouth of God and the red-letter words of Jesus. Why? Because there is a God, and He has spoken, and what He has said has been accurately and correctly written down. And all mankind will be held accountable and responsible to the one who is, who was, and who is to come. 1 Timothy 4, verse 10 says, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Okay, so I'm asking our doubters, I'm asking our skeptics in the audience to have hope, hope, hope. In the words of our Heavenly Father, hope in the words of our Savior, hope is the opposite of doubt, okay? While faith and unbelief, hope is the opposite of doubt. It's the opposite of doubt. And I already spoke about this, but I want you to recall back, go back to that mountain where all those apostles are on the mountain standing there, and they're doubting right before Jesus gives the Great Commission, okay? All 11 of them are standing there. These are the apostles who on multiple occasions saw Jesus in His resurrected form. He gave these men who were unsure. He gave these men who were hesitant. He gave these men who were doubtful a mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Can you believe that? Jesus commissioned doubters to be the messengers to the world. And on the day of Pentecost, they all received the Holy Spirit that would remind them of the words that Jesus spoke. And brothers and sisters, we to have that Spirit within us, guiding us, teaching us, giving us counsel, and reminding us of the words of Jesus. So, Lake Homa, I know you love Jesus. And even though you haven't seen Him, I know you trust in Him. You were baptized into His name, and you were washed, and you were cleansed of your sins. And all of us who went down into that watery grave were raised to walk in a new life, His life, His way, His truth. We, therefore, have placed our hope in the one true and living God. And even when the apostles doubted They could not deny the hope they had in the one they had been with for so many years. They put their hope in Jesus, the salvation of their souls. We too have this hope. It sustains us. It encourages us. It moves us off the mountain into the valley below so that we even in our doubts, even in our insecurities and everything, so that we, so that we can help others put their faith in Jesus Christ. If Jesus 
can use doubting apostles to carry his message to the lost, he can absolutely do so to each and every one of us. To him be the glory forever and ever. Let's stand and sing.